The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many, many, and on many, many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in Cain's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. I don't know if anyone even heard anything you said because cute babies just kind of take all the, the attention. So um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, this is my final sermon before going on like a mini sabbatical. So just to kind of let everyone know how that works for us is um, we've kind of, we've tried to do from an early stage uh, to, to start well in this. Um, I've talked to a lot of pastors who are a lot older than me and have been in ministry for a lot longer, and they've maybe never had a sabbatical. So uh, we wanted to start well. So we have every, th- we kind of go every three years, our pastors will get a, a rest. Um, so this one is a kind of a half sabbatical, six weeks I'll be off to catch my breath and uh, just be with the Lord. That's my goal. Um, and then every other one is a kind of full sabbatical for uh, three months. So uh, looking forward to it. Our staff will tell you uh, I'm ready for it, and my brain has kind of been on it for a little while, so uh, thanks for sticking with us. So, um, 
We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. Um, as you already know, we've given the title uh, of this series uh, this, the, the, to, to seek and save the lost, because that's what Jesus said His purpose was in coming to earth. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we, we use that, that, that verse as a lens of some sort to kind of read the gospel through. And we, we, it kind of governs everything that we talk about in the gospel of Luke. We understand it through that lens that Jesus, the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save the lost. And the particular section we're in right now is focusing on the Son of Man aspect of that. So we've, can you believe we're only in chapter 6? Like we've been in this for a little while and we've got a ways to go. We're, gonna, we're not going to go nonstop. We're going to kind of take it in thirds. Um, but uh, we've been looking at in this first section of, uh, of the, the identity of Jesus and we've learned uh, that this is, is his, his identity, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's the big idea from uh, the text today, and that, that's a very clear statement that, that Jesus, uh, that, that Luke tells us about his identity, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And the passage, though, this morning is about a man named John, and we know him as John the Baptist. Uh, we were introduced to John the Baptist already in chapter 1. Uh, he, we see him again in chapter 3, and, and John actually believed that statement with all of his heart. John, John gave everything uh, that, that he had to make sure that people heard that, that big statement, that message, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he has come to seek and to save the lost. Uh, he gave everything to make sure people heard that, they knew it, and they believed it. Um, but, as we see in the reading today, there was a time in John's life where he doubted, where he kind of hesitated, and John said, all right, I, I've given my life for this statement. I've given my very freedom for that statement, but there's at least one moment in this spiritual giant's life where he had doubts and he had questions about that statement. Um, I must admit, I, you might agree, that that's kind of comforting to me. It's comforting that, that a spiritual giant, a prophet of God, can also have a dark night of the soul, that, 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 that someone like John can have questions at times, and uh, there, there's a season where they, they might not be quite sure. You have doubts. You have questions. Um, you, you wonder sometimes about who Jesus really is. And there, there's, there's things we talk about in village, maybe on a Sunday morning, or maybe things you discuss around the table in your, mis in your missional communities that, that you maybe just don't know how quite to handle. There are things you hear from the pulpit. There are things that you maybe read in your own personal study uh, where you say, I just have a hard time making sense of that. I have a hard time kind of wrapping my arms around that. Sometimes I don't know if I can even really believe it. To, to deny that that ever happens with you is, is just to be dishonest. So everyone in this room at some point in their life will have doubts, will have questions, um, not always, we're not always plagued with questions and doubts, praise the Lord, uh, but there will be seasons in your life, there will be circumstances that you'll find yourself in where you do have questions, where you do hesitate and you might doubt. Um, and so it's important, uh, it's good to look at this small glimpse at the life of John, this spiritual giant, to see how he doubts, that he questions, but also what I want us to see is how Jesus responds to him in his doubts. Um, let's look at the passage. Hopefully you have your Bibles open to Luke 7, verse 18. Let me pray for us one more time. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that, that, that you love us. Um, Lord, you've, you've, you've placed your love on us um, before we did anything to deserve it. We thank you for Jesus who, who came to earth to seek us when we were lost, to save us uh, in the depths of our sin. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us this morning and that you would do this morning what I cannot do, which is to soften hearts, to, to lift the veil off of people's eyes and to, to place your truth inside people. I um, pray you do that, Holy Spirit. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to understand what's going on here in this interaction between John and Jesus, we need to make sure we understand who John is. So I want to just take a, a, a bit here at the, at the beginning to invite you to kind of walk along with John, and we'll just try to paint a, a picture of, of who he is. Um, here's a picture of John. Um, it's not actually a picture of John. So that Jesus Storybook Bible, that's a picture of John the Baptist there. Uh, so we kind of know about John, uh, pretty wild guy. If you grew up in, in church like I have, then uh, w- when, you, when you, we talk about John, you might have a picture of someone like Uncle Eddie. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the classic Christmas um, movie, The Christmas Vacation. This is Uncle Eddie. He's, he turns up. He's a guy that, like, he's weird. He smells funny. You don't really know how to, uh, to deal with him uh, and to kind of interact with him. Um, and Uncle Eddie, that's what I kind of maybe picture uh, when I talk about John the Baptist. Uh, when you read about John the Baptist, though, uh, you read about a guy who uh, lived in the wilderness. He wore camel skin with a leather belt. Um, he, he ate locusts. That's those are grasshoppers. Those are bugs. Um, he, he dipped them in honey, so it made it a little more palatable. But um, he, he's, he's not your normal, average guy. Um, but there's a lot more to John than just the weird kind of comic book oddities, uh, this kind of character. Um, w- when you remember back to how Luke introduced us to John back in chapter 1, he told us about his conception and his birth, and he, he told us alongside of Jesus' conception and his birth. So Jesus were were re- Jesus and John were related. They were kin. Uh, their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, were related somehow. We don't know exactly how, uh, which makes Jesus and John sort of cousins. Um, we know also from that, that that his birth was a miracle. So Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were well beyond the years of, of childbearing. Uh, but God, just like he did for Abraham and Sarah, and they gave uh, Gave, him, gave them Isaac, God gave John to this elderly Elizabeth and Zechariah. His birth was uh, miraculous. Uh, we know John was very tough. Um, he, was, he was a very uh, uh, kind of rough, tough, kind of tumble guy. He, he wasn't a pushover. Uh, he lived in the wilderness, like we said. He didn't enjoy kind of modern conveniences that we have. He ate things that we want nothing to do with. Uh, and you, you might think, well, that's ancient time. This is like the Middle East. They eat weird things. They're strange. No, People thought John was, was, was a, a, a weird kind of guy uh, because of the way he lived, because of what he wore and what he ate. Um, I think he'd make, he'd, he'd make this great like Netflix series, like, like, hey, have you watched Tiger King? No, I haven't seen it. He's crazy. Have you watched Locust Eater? Like, this guy's a, a prophet that lives in the wilderness, and he eats bugs. It'd be strange. So, um, the guy's wild. Jesus thought John was tough as well. So look at what he says about John in verses 24 to 25. He, he asked the crowds, what did you go out the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. No, 
What did you go out there to see? A, a man dressed in soft clothing. She says, no, that John isn't some uh, elite person that's dressed in splendid clothing, living in a palace. No, that's not what you went out there to see. John, uh, Jesus knew that, that John was, was this kind of rough character. Uh, he builds on that in verse 26. He says, this man's a prophet. More than a prophet, actually, not, not just any prophet, but the last prophet promised in the Old Testament. So that's why he then quotes Malachi 3.1. Uh, th- these prophecies that are promising uh, that, that God would send a prophet before He sent the Messiah. So, so the people were long awaiting this promised Messiah to come. And they were, they were looking for Him. But before they were looking for Jesus, they were looking for this prophet who would come and be this, this forerunner for Him. So they've been waiting on, on John as well. And Jesus says, John is that prophet that you've been waiting for for 400 years since that promise in Malachi. And He sums up in verse 28 uh, his, who He is. He's saying, Jesus uh, says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So He is the greatest um, Jesus says he's a big deal, and um, you think he's weird, and he is, but he's this, this spiritual giant. The people of Israel have been waiting for 400 years since that promise. Look at the second half of verse 28. Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, so what Jesus is saying is, is that the, the least in God's kingdom… Luke has shown us that, that Jesus has come to proclaim the, the, and usher in God's kingdom, and He says the least in this kingdom is greater than the greatest who ever lived. What Jesus is saying is that John is the last of the old. He's the greatest of the old. So I wonder if I asked you, who, do you, who would you say is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? A lot of people would say Moses or uh, Uh, or uh, Isaiah or um, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, Jesus says it's actually John. So we're reading about him at the start of the New Testament, but we're still in the old covenant period. This is before the cross, before the ushering in of the new covenant. And Jesus is saying John is the last of the old. He's the greatest of the old. He's the last one promised in that old covenant before the new covenant begins. And John is then, he's like looking forward in faith, and he's, he's, he's great. He, he's, he's great in the sense that he sees more clearly than anyone that came before him. He sees more clearly than Isaiah and Moses and Jeremiah. He sees more clearly than all of them what God is about to do through the Messiah. He's the greatest that's ever been born. But once you step across into that, that new covenant and, and you look back in faith, it doesn't matter if it's you or me, the least in God's kingdom on this side, we look back and we see far more clearly than John ever did what, what God has done through the Messiah. So Jesus says the least in God's kingdom now is greater than John, but he was great. We see John was a preacher he, he preached. That's what he did. He, he came to, to talk about the kingdom of God, to, to, to prepare people for the kingdom of God. He preached about salvation and what it meant to be part of that kingdom, and he was calling people to repent. And, when he, and people responded to that message. He baptized them, hence his name, John the Baptist, or literally John the Baptizer. He would dunk them in water just like we do, and that, that, that's a picture that the old person was dead and the new one was now alive. 
These people had repented from their sins, and they were living this life of following after the Messiah. And as a preacher, this is probably the most important thing about John, was he was constantly pointing, pointing people to Jesus. That was the purpose of John's life, was to point people to Jesus. At times, John would say to his own disciples, his own followers, stop following me and, and go after him. It's, you need to follow that guy and not me. It's not about me. It's not my kingdom. He's the one that this is all about. You need to follow him and do what he says. John would say things like, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. That was like the, the, the motto of his life. Jesus must become greater. I must become lesser. In John's gospel, in chapter 3, John likens himself to the, the friend of a bridegroom. Like, like the best man at a wedding. I've been the best man at a wedding. Uh, there's, there's lots to do on a wedding day as a best man. There's speeches to give. There's valuable rings to look after. There's, there's like troops to rally. But basically, your job is to serve the groom and to make sure the groom has everything he needs and to, to, to kind of glorify the groom in that way. The day is not about you. It's about him and your job is to, to glorify Him. And the joy that the, the best man gets is, the, is the, the joy of seeing the groom glorified. And John says, that's how to sum up my life. Jesus must increase. He must be glorified. I must serve Him and be decreased. John would look to the people that were coming to Him and following Him and say, I am nothing. I do not matter. Follow the Messiah. Everything I'm supposed to do with my life is meant to point people towards Jesus. He was constantly doing that. And as he did that, he fearlessly confronted sin. This is what we see about John. He was fearless in his confronting sin. He didn't really care who was doing the sinning. He didn't care what the sin uh, was. He confronted it. So when we see when the tax collectors would come out and ask him what they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. When soldiers would come out and ask John what they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. When the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would come out and, and ask John what they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. And eventually this got him in deep trouble because uh, there was a man on the throne at the time of Israel called Herod Antipas. And it's the same Herod who eventually got caught up in the execution of Jesus. And when you, what we read about Herod is he's not the greatest guy. He's not a nice guy. And here's what happened. Long story short, this kind of sets us up for what's happening in, in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Herod has a brother in Rome, uh, and he goes to visit his brother in Rome. He leaves his wife and his family uh, at home in Palestine. And while he's in Rome visiting his brother, he meets his brother's wife, and he he decides he wants to be married to his brother's wife instead of his wife back at home. So he seduces his brother's wife. He, he brings her back to his home, gets rid of his old wife, and now he has a new kind of upgraded wife in that sense. Great guy, right? And, and this wasn't a sneaky operation. Everyone knew about it. It was public knowledge. So Mark's gospel tells us that when John the Baptist heard about what Herod had done, he confronted him. He confronted him in his sin. He said, you ought not have done what you did do. Herod, what you did was unlawful. It was immoral. It was wicked. His message is the same message to everybody, is you're a sinner who needs to repent. Obviously, this bothered Herod, but he didn't really care about John. Herod's this man in the palace. John's this wilderness nut job, so he doesn't really care. But what 
John really got him in trouble was with Herod's new wife. She didn't like John saying these things. She didn't like the, the reputation that she now had because of John. And so, because of her, John ends up in prison. He's locked up because of his, his confronting Herod and his sin. And this is the context, the kind of setting for the passage that we're looking at in Luke chapter 7. So, look at Luke 7 verse 18 and see how Luke sets this story up and he connects it to, to John's story. He says the disciples of John come and, and tell him all this stuff that Jesus is doing, all these miraculous things that Jesus is doing. And John calls two of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus and he says, ask him this one thing. Ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? So the reason John didn't go and ask Jesus himself he didn't go and have a face-to-face -face conversation with his cousin and ask him, hey, what's the deal? Are you the guy or are you not the guy? It's because he's in prison. You read about that in Luke chapter 3, verse 20, in Mark chapter 6. So John is locked up in prison. He's in Herod's dungeon because he confronted his sin and he did that fearlessly. And so he has to send two of his disciples to ask Jesus that question. And they say, one question, are you the Messiah? Yes or no, that's all we're looking for. John is in a, a, a dire situation. We don't know what his future holds. We don't know how much longer he has left. Please just tell him, are you the one or are you not? Um, looking, at that, looking at who John is, um, you might agree with me, I don't expect that person to have doubts at this point in his life. And you, you don't expect that. He's given 100% of his life. He's given everything, his very freedom, doing these things for Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, preaching about his kingdom, preaching repentance. His whole life has been about telling people not to follow him, but to follow Jesus. And now, after all of his life, he's sitting in this prison cell in chains, and he says, is he the one or not? My, my, has my life been a complete and total waste? If Jesus isn't who I thought he was, then I'm not who I thought I was. Are you the one to come, or should we wait for another? What's going on in John's mind? Well, he's been, he's been telling everyone about this great kingdom that is to come which implies what? A great king of this kingdom. But who's on the throne right now? John is sitting in his dungeon. It's Herod. Herod's on the throne, not the Messiah. John has been preaching salvation. Salvation, salvation, freedom. And here he is, he's sitting in shackles. It's almost like he looks around and he says, it's not going exactly the way I thought it would. Jesus, cousin, yes or no, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? This is John's moment of weakness. He has doubts. He has questions. Here's the best part of the story to me is 
John's disciples, they show up, they ask Jesus this question. I almost expect Jesus to react and they, are you kidding me? Because that's the way I would react to these guys. How stupid are you? How did, do you see how, how, it, how this section began in verse 18? The disciples were reporting to John all that Jesus has done. It's almost like he's like, have you not heard of what I'm doing? Have you, have you not seen what I've done? Have you not been paying attention at all? Are you that dense that you haven't figured it out yet? Is it not obvious? You see, Jesus has every reason to jump down John's throat. But does he? Does Jesus pound on John in his moment of weakness? Did he criticize him for asking questions? Did he scold him for having second thoughts? No. Instead, look at what Jesus did in verse 21. It says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Jesus said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal this woman. I'm going to heal this guy. These evil spirits in this group, I'm going to cast them out. This blind person, I'm going to give them sight. And then I want you to go back and I want you to tell John what you saw. In verse 22, he answered them saying, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. But then he gives them more specifics to tell them. He says, tell them the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. We can read that and we can almost imagine his disciples saying, so is that a yes or no? (laughs) John really needs it plain and simple here, Jesus. He's in chains, don't know what's going to happen. Give me one of these. We wink or something, Jesus. But no, for a man like John, who has built his entire life on the Old Testament, he, he knew the Old Testament, he would have memorized every single bit of Scripture concerning the coming Messiah. He would have, he would have known it all. He would have, known, he would have known passages like Isaiah 61. He would have known passages like Isaiah 35, passages that say, when the Messiah comes, here's what's going to happen. The lame will leap like deer. The the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The dead will be brought back to life. See, John knew those passages. And so the message that Jesus sent back, it was not a an exact yes or no in that way, but but to John, who knew those passages, the answer was a resounding yes. I am the one. That's really interesting, isn't it? I love that Jesus, he responds to him. His his answer to him was to quote Scripture, to point him back to the Scriptures. He's pointing pointing them, uh, John, to himself. Look at what I've done, but look at how how I fulfill the Scriptures. John wouldn't have gotten that yes or no answer unless he knew his Bible. And Jesus quotes him Scripture, show him how I've done this. I think that's interesting. Back to John. Um, there's a couple things that John needed to learn. 
Um, they're not exactly spelled out in the passage, but when you look at that character that he had, when you look at the, the doubts that he had, that he's struggling with, and you think about the answer that Jesus gave him, here's two truths that John needed to learn, truth, two truths that we need to learn. Firstly, is that the Messiah came to seek and to save you from your sins. So that's Luke 19.10 all over again. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Um, Jesus has come to accomplish something very specific. Um, he, come, he came in the form of a man. He had humbled himself by becoming a servant. He humbled himself by becoming uh, a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross, to do what? To save you from your sins. He came to do that. He has accomplished that. It is done. John needed to understand why Jesus has come to seek and to save you from your sins. The second thing that John needed to figure out eventually is the Messiah will come to save you from your circumstances. In the West, we tend to get these two truths flipped around, don't we? We, we don't like to think very much about our sinfulness. We, we don't like to think about how badly we need to be saved. And what we really want is for Jesus to make our lives easy and comfortable and carefree. We forget, just like John forgets with his chains on his wrist as he's sitting in that prison cell about to have his head lopped off, we forget that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. And He will come one day to save us from our circumstances. And I probably don't have to convince you very much of this, but uh, if you look around Northern Ireland, if you look around the Western world, there are people who call themselves Christians who are deeply offended by these two truths. Offended that you would say to them that you are a sinner, that, that, you, that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. I think most, most people in our society will admit, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but if you start telling them that their situation is completely hopeless, that there is nothing they can do to change it, people start to get upset. I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm pretty good living. People are offended at the idea that they simply are sinners. No, I'm, I'm not perfect. Yes, I make mistakes, but sinner is such a harsh word, isn't it? dead in my trespasses. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It's a little bit too far. People are offended at that. People are definitely offended at suggesting that Jesus doesn't want them to simply be comfortable. Well, what's He here for then? If it's not to keep me comfortable, it's not to keep me safe, if, it's not, if He's not here to give me what I need, what I want, that, that great house, that great life that I'm after, that relationship, well, then what is He here for? You say He loves me. You say there's nothing that can separate me from His love. If He loves me, isn't He there to, for me to come to Him and for Him to meet my needs and my desires and my wants? These are offensive truths. It seems John had hesitated and forgotten them 
and he needed to learn them again. We forget them, and we need to learn them again and again. Here's the thing. If you're not offended yet, then just keep reading John's story, and a lot of people will get offended at how his story ends, about what God allows him to go through. His story continues in prison. He sits in prison, and he sits in prison, and he sits in prison, and then he gets his head chopped off and served on a platter. And that's the end of John's story in the gospel. Why didn't God take care of him? Look, look at all he had done for Jesus. And again, to be totally honest with you, Jesus was not surprised that anybody might be offended by these things. Jesus is no fool. Humanity has not changed in 2,000 years that Jesus didn't see this kind of thing coming. That's why Jesus says in verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's almost like he's saying, listen, I know this is going to be hard. I know you're not going to necessarily like this answer, but blessed is the one who does not take offense by me, by what I am saying, by what I am doing. I think Jesus, he knew what lay ahead for John. He knew what he would go through. And he, he knew that John needed to hear that beatitude. He needed to be reminded of that. I think that would be strength for John as he finished his journey. Will you be offended by me or will you trust me, John? That's the point in verses 31 to 35. He talks about these kids singing the song back and forth, and he says, here's John. Uh, he fasts. He lives in the desert. He doesn't own anything. He's this, this radical prophet, and you think he's possessed by a demon. And Jesus says, and here's me. I, I'm rubbing shoulders with people. I'm in the marketplace. I'm going to parties. I'm living a pretty normal, pretty popular life compared to John, and you hate me. He's too crazy, but you say, I have too much fun. We cannot win with you. He's not surprised that people would be offended by this kind of thing. So here's the question as we wrap up. Are you offended? Are you offended by Jesus, by the things He says, by what He came to accomplish? Are you offended that Jesus would have the gall, that He would have the nerve to suggest that, that He and He alone is the only way to experience a relationship with God the Father? Are you offended that Jesus, while He does befriend sinners, He refuses to leave them in their sin? He, he, he calls them, in fact, He demands them that, to repent. Does that offend you? Are you offended that Jesus would say to some people, you need to give up literally everything in order to follow me? Are you offended that Jesus, like with John, would decide to leave people sometimes in less than ideal circumstances? 
On the flip side of that, does it offend you that Jesus would deliver some people from those circumstances and deliver them to delightful circumstances and that that's not you? Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. He's fully aware that people are going to criticize him one way or the other. Remember what the prophet Simeon said of the child Jesus in, in, in Luke chapter 2. It's like, this, this one's going to divide the world. And Jesus is fully aware of that. And he's calling you not to be offended by him. Here's my hope for you this morning that you would be able to take a step back from this passage and that you would lay down all of your preconceived ideas about who Jesus is. Lay down all of your ideas about what He came to do, what He should be doing in your life, and allow, and allow Scripture to inform your expectations. Stop coming to Jesus and trying to wrap your expectations around Him and simply let Jesus be Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would understand Luke 19, verse 10, that He came to seek you and He came to save you while you were lost. That you would believe and that you would Rest in the hope that one day He will come and He will save you from your circumstances. I, I don't know what your circumstances are today. I know some of you are in a delightful circumstance. Things are, for, are really great, but I know some of you are in a terrible circumstance. My hope is that you would wait, that you would trust and you would believe that He will come and deliver you from it all. Whether it's financial issues, whether it's relationship issues, emotional issues, physical issues, deliverance is coming. It's not here now in all the ways that we would like it to be, just like John, but it is coming, and it is coming soon when Jesus comes again. My prayer is that when you face doubts, not if, but when, when you face doubts, you wouldn't just sit back and passively listen to yourself, but that you would listen to Jesus. Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? That's an okay question to ask. John asked it. I've asked that question several times this year. It's normal to have that dark night of the soul and ask Jesus, are you the one or not? But please, please make sure to hear him, to listen to him. What does he tell John? I'm the one. I am the one. You don't need to look for another. I am the one. You can be offended by me or you can trust me. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. going to ask you to close your eyes. I just want to take a moment to, to allow you to reflect, to allow you to examine your, your heart and your life right now. 
Take a moment to examine your circumstances and that you find yourself in at the moment. Maybe they're fantastic. Maybe they're less than fantastic. Maybe you are in the lowest pit that you've ever been in this morning. But I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with God right now. What are your fears? What's the source of your anxiety? What are you longing for that you just can't seem to get? Then I want to invite you to listen to Jesus when he says, I am the Messiah. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've said. Look at what I am doing and see how it all fulfills the Scripture. I am the one who is to come. I am the one who has come to seek you and to save you when you are lost. Will you trust me? I've come to seek you, I've come to save you, and I will come again and turn your circumstances completely upside down. Will you trust me right now? Um, Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you again for your love. We thank you that you are um, all-powerful, all-sovereign. Um, Lord, we, we just confess that there are seasons when it's hard. It's hard to believe that truth. It's hard to believe uh, that you are who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us in our troubles. Lord, these brothers and sisters in this room, Holy Spirit, you are called the helper who is abiding in us, who is living in us. I pray you would help us. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it means to suffer. You, you know what it means to to, to go through the, the deepest, darkest valley and you show us how to trust. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd apply this truth to the hearts of the people in this room. I thank you for our church. I thank you for our community. These brothers and sisters that we do life together, we, we speak the truth with one another. We bear with one another. We hold each other up. We remind each other of the gospel. That's what this morning is all about. Lord, help us to remember the gospel. Help us to live in light of the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name.